Welcome to another episode of Men's Bible Study. Pastor John Mark Caton joins us again to continue our walk through the book of James. Today we will learn about godly wisdom and making sure that we don't live a life of strife. Now, let's hear from Pastor John Mark. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, hey, how many of you are for the Rangers? It's okay. That's right. How many of you for the Astros? All right. Well, I, I, I will tell you, for those of you who know, I grew up, you know, almost half of my life in Houston. I grew up an Astros fan. So, um, but now all my kids are Rangers fans. So I have dual citizenship uh, between both. I root for both. Uh, the, the thing that is scary uh, is you, if you're a Rangers fan, have you looked at the Astros run differential on the road and at home? They are. They have been a terrible. Astros have been a terrible home team this year. Their run differential is negative twenty at home. Do you know what their run differential is on the road? They're a plus one fifty nine. All right. I went to that last series just thinking that might. I'm pretty sure they had a 20 run differential in the game that we went to. It was like a home run derby uh, for the Astros. So it's good to see. I'd love to see the Rangers win one. I will tell you, my, I've been here for a long time because they haven't had one. But here's my ultimate. As long as the World Series ends up in Texas, I'm okay. So uh, anyway, all right, back to James chapter 3, guys. And we have been looking at a number of things over the last couple of weeks, fired up uh, to continue looking at this very practical book uh, by Jesus' little brother as he just kind of talks about, man, how do we put our faith into practice and what does our faith look like uh, in practice, in conversation? If you don't remember, we talked about the fact that uh, God's got some stuff for us to do. Uh, I've got some growing up to do. Man, I've got some stuff that I need to learn. These are all, if you hadn't looked at them, you can go back to the podcast, you can see them, and you can hear them. Uh, I've got people uh, that I need to deal with uh, that uh, that sometimes I don't like them, they don't like me. I've got uh, some good deeds to do, talking about works and faith. Uh, then last week we talked about our tongue. Uh, how many of you did well this last week with holding your tongue? Uh, how many of you didn't even try? I mean, let's be honest, that, that three-inch muscular organ that we all have uh, that gets us all into trouble. If you don't remember here, uh, as we think about our tongue, it's a tyrant. Here were the questions that I left you with last week uh, when you think about what you're about to say, all right? Is first of all, is it true? All right, I want to make sure everything I say is absolutely true. Then I says in, said, in the moment, ask yourself the question, is it beneficial? Is it going to help somebody? Is it going to help the person I'm about to say this to? Is it necessary? Man, sometimes something can be true, but not necessary. How many of you know? Now, it feels better. It'll still feel better to go ahead and say it, right? Uh, But is it necessary? Do I have permission to share it? If you hear something from someone, if someone comes in and shares a prayer request with you uh, and and says, hey, I really want you to pray with me about my family or this or that, uh, did they give me permission to share it with somebody else? And if they didn't, man, I want to hold my tongue to make sure I'm faithful to that. And then finally, uh, when you say it, is your motive pure? Is your motive pure in saying it? And uh, we ask kind of the litmus test of, is my motive pure? If it really makes you feel good to say it, 
It probably isn't a pure motive. How many of you know? That just felt good for me to say that about those folks. That's what we looked at last week. And so today I really want to talk to us about having some godly wisdom, making sure we don't live a life of strife. And we're going to see that's what James turns to. He talks about strife in the church. And now kind of a background of what James is talking about is remember James became a leader in the church in Jerusalem. And he saw a lot of strife in the church. And primarily what he saw in strife in the church as the gospel went out. Remember, all of a sudden the gospel was no longer just for the Jews. It started being for the Gentiles, right? And you had this battle between these Jewish believers and these Gentile believers. What did the Jewish believers want the Gentile believers to do? Start following the law right? And they would talk about them and say, man, you can't be spiritually mature because you don't eat this way and you don't do this and you don't act this way. You don't have the ceremonial washing. And then the Gentiles are looking at them saying, well, hang on. Paul says salvation is grace and faith alone. And now all of a sudden you're telling me I can't eat this and I can't eat that. And I've grown up eating this and I've grown up eating that. And remember, even in the Galatian church, uh, if you remember, Paul is out there. He's led these Galatians to the Lord. And remember, Peter showed up. Peter shows up and all of a sudden when he's with the Gentiles, he lowers his guard and he begins to act like a Gentile, a, a Christian Gentile. But then when the Jews show up, Peter goes all Jew on them. How many of you remember that? And it says there was a large, if you go look at Galatians chapter 2, it says there was a large argument. Basically, Paul called him out. Paul looked at Peter and said, dude, you are a hypocrite. When you're around these kind of people, you act this way. And when you're around these kind of people, you act this way. And Paul just flat out lit Peter up and said, dude, you're a hypocrite. You are beginning to act like the people that you are with. And so they went back to Jerusalem and they basically had a debate. And you had those in the Jerusalem church who were saying, you know, these Gentiles, some of them, some of them said, you know, no, these Gentiles need to start acting more like Jews. And Paul's sitting there going, no, I got an idea. Why don't we have them act like Jesus? How many of you know we'd all be better if that happened, right? And so James, in a backdrop of seeing a church that is exploding, realizes this, that we are going to reach people that are not like us, right? That's the gospel, right? We're going to reach people from different countries, different states, different places, different backgrounds. We're going to reach people in a church that they've grown up in church all their life right? I mean, if you could get to heaven by works, that's, the, that's that guy, but you can't. How many of you know someone that, man, they, they just, they're just good through and through, right? We know those. And, and then there are other people like Hill House, right? <laughs> that, that we're shocked at the amazing grace of God every day, aren't we? Right? And, and you just have to put up with people, right? And so that's what James is doing, the backdrop. He's really saying, listen, when we talk about real faith, not only do I have some trials I need to go through, I've got some people I don't necessarily like, uh, I've got some stuff that I need to learn. But when we get into the latter part of James chapter 3, he really says, listen, if we're going to have unity in the church, We've got to get rid of all the envy and strife. Now, let me tell you what he's not saying. He's not saying compromise biblical truth. He is not saying compromise theology. 
He is not saying compromise any law that is clearly written out in Scripture. But what he is saying is, guys, we want to put our personal preferences aside for the good of the church. Does that make sense? That means we need to love people like Jesus loved them. Man, we, we think about those times many times when Jesus would be in a house uh, with a bunch of tax collectors and sinners, and, and the Pharisees would look at him and say, what are you doing? He goes, man, the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. The more we are like Jesus is the more we'll have that mindset. That if someone is different than us, if someone shows up and they don't look or act like I think they ought to look or act like, first question is, man, have they met the risen Savior? Because if you go all the way back to James, remember James was a doubter of his brother? Remember they thought we'd look the first week, they, they thought Jesus was crazy. They said, man, you know, he's nuts. There were times that he was preaching in the synagogue. And remember the family and the friends came home and said, let's, let's drag him home. All right, it's kind of getting embarrassing. He's trying to say he's the Messiah. And, and what changed everything for James was he encountered a risen brother. And so all of a sudden this James who was a doubter, James who thought his brother Jesus was crazy or, or even insane, all of a sudden that James becomes a leader in the church and he begins to see this strife. And so he looks and begins to give practical application on how we should live. So let's look at James chapter 3, and let me just kind of just start reading um, about the reality. He says, listen, we don't want to harm our witness or the church by letting undue envy and strife show up. Here's what he says, beginning verse 13. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life. So number one thing I am supposed to do is not to grade someone else's life, is not to walk around with my personal grade book and say, they don't do this, they don't do this, they like this, they don't like this. That's what he said. He said, my number one goal is as I've learned what God wants me to do, and as I've experienced God's grace, the number one thing I want to do is be wise and understanding among you. He said, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. In other words, we want to be men that live out good deeds, that live out and walk in humility, not in arrogance or pride. Then as you continue to read verse 14, he says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Then he goes on verse 15, for such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Now, he, he, he's, he's talking real, isn't he? He says, guys, if we're walking around lording it over other people, looking down on other people because they don't talk or look or act like us, he goes, we are not showing or demonstrating spiritual wisdom. We are showing that we are prideful and arrogant people. And he says, man, that comes straight from Satan. You might want to underline that word demonic. When you think about what was Satan's first sin, it wasn't temptation. It was pride, right? Is that he showed up, he wanted to be like God. Man, that, that was the first sin. His first sin was not tempting Adam and Eve. His first sin was thinking he was better than he was. 
And so that's why James right here says, listen, guys, if we walk in pride, if we walk in arrogance, if we look down on other people, number one thing we're doing, we're acting like Satan. Now, it's okay from time to time to look like Satan, all right? But we don't ever want to act like him, right? And he says, man, so when we walk in humility, we look like Jesus. Now, that's not weakness. That's not frail. That's power under control, right? But he says, guys, when we roll through church, we want to walk with a strength and a humility, Man, something that we says, man, we know what we believe, who we believe in, what our mission is, what our purpose is, that I want to love God, I want to love others in a powerful and a real way, but I don't want to lord it over them. And so he says, man, we don't want to live in such a way that we deny the truth and instead walk in a way that I look more like Satan in my arrogance and my pride. Now look at verse 16. He says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder in every evil practice. Now he's talking about in the church. And now notice those words. He says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition. Now let's just step back and, 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 and just kind of put it in our own context. Man, we want to be the kind of people that if all of a sudden everybody's serving, or we're all serving, we're coming up on the gift weekend. We'll pack 250,000 meals. Uh, we'll do a lot of things. Man, Operation Christmas Child, it is all about all the month of November is, is missions month here at Cottonwood Creek, the whole month. That all of a sudden someone's serving, someone's serving, you're serving, you do something, and then Dave calls out one person and says, man, thanks so much for what you did. We don't want to let Satan cause others to be envious, is that right? Where you say, you know, wait, I was serving too, I did this, right? We don't want to have that kind of selfish ambition. Because here's what we know, whatever you do, God knows. Everybody say God knows. God knows. God knows. Guys, I'm telling you, God knows. Man, if you're walking with Him and you're growing in your faith and, man, you were just taking a step closer to God and all of a sudden you weren't serving but now you're serving, man, God knows. And so don't ever let selfish ambition grow up that you say, you know, man, how come they always get the praise or they always do this or they always do that? Man, we are a praising staff here at Cottonwood Creek. Now, we're picking staff. We'll pick on you too, all right? Uh, once you rise to fame at Cottonwood Creek, how many of you know our, our number one call is to get you chopped back down, right? That's what we love to do. We love to build you up so we can take you down. No, but Satan wants you to sit there and be envious, and be prideful and be discouraged. And James says, man, for where you find envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder in every kind of evil practice. Now, so then as we roll, remember there are no chapter breaks when James originally wrote this. So as you roll from chapter 3 to chapter 4, it's still James' same continuous thought. So you say, what is the source, and he's going to talk about that, of our envy? Pick it up. James chapter 4, verse 1, he says, what is the source of our arguments or our fights, our quarrels, uh, even in the church setting? He says, what causes fights? All right. And interestingly enough, you want to write this down, that word fight, it has the idea of soldiers amassed for battle. He's not talking about a quibble. He's not just talking about uh, a, a, little, a little bitty skirmish. That word, that word fight, it's not even a fist fight. It's talking about when soldiers are armed for battle. 
He says, wherever you find fights, and then he uses the word quarrels, that best translation for that word quarrels is divisiveness. Wherever you find groups of people in the church that are lined up to go to war with each other, he says, you have quarrels. That's divisions. He says, what causes fights and divisions in the church? Notice what he says. Don't they come from your desires within you? So somebody, based on that verse, when you see, anybody ever been in a, uh, I've never been through one. Uh, They had one years ago at the church. Anybody ever been through a church split? I mean, a flat out church split. All right. You want to know what James says causes that? The desires within you. He says the source of fights and quarrels and arguments in the church are found right in here. They're found right in here. And what do we have a tendency to do? If we are envious of someone else, we want to gather others around me that believe like me. And now what happens? We, we want to shape the information tree so it makes me look better and the other side look worse. Do you understand what I'm saying? And then if we aren't careful and we don't look for reconciliation, we amass for battle, we put on our armory, it might be self-righteousness, it might be pride, it might be this or might, might be that, but he says don't ever doubt. The divisions in the church, they come from right in here. And so as you think about it, he says, what causes those fights? What causes those divisions? What causes, don't they come from your desires internally within you? Remember what Paul said? He says, don't ever think you'll get over this. If I think about my life spiritually, and maybe your life spiritually, boy, you're up there, we're here, wherever you are. Man, put Paul way up at the top of that list. Remember what Paul said about what goes on in his his heart in Romans chapter 7? Look at, he says, for I know the good does not dwell in me. That is, in my sinful nature. For I have a desire, there's that same word James uses for desire, I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. He says, now if I do what I want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but the sin that is living within me. What is James, uh, what, what is Paul saying? Same thing James is saying. He's saying, man, where do you see divisions? It's right there. It's right in here. So if you ever show up and and you see two believers that, man, they just can't seem to work it out. They cannot uh, seem to get along. The source of the problem is usually not what they're arguing about. The source of the problem goes way deeper. Everybody say way deeper. It goes to the heart. It goes to the heart. It goes to the desire in my heart to either, man, they've hurt my feelings, they do something, or I think I'm more spiritual than I am. And we've always got to step back and say, you know what, if Paul acknowledges in this advanced stage right in the middle of the book of Romans, man, he is writing this amazing theological polemic called the book of Romans. But right there in Romans chapter 7, he says, man, but I can never forget. There's some stuff right in here 
that'll split me apart, that'll destroy a church, that'll hurt those I love the most. And he goes, and I have to be careful because there will even be times when I don't want to do something, but I end up doing it anyway because sin is always there with me. So what does James say? Man, where you walk in and you see quarrels and envies and fights and divisions, he says you can assume the source is in the heart, it's not in the problem. I'm gonna say that again. If you walk in, you can assume that the source is the heart, it's not just the problem. And so as you think, and maybe you're in here today, and, and pray, praise the Lord, we have a church that is filled with unity and love and grace, but maybe if you're harboring something ill towards someone else in the church or outside the church, maybe another brother or sister, man, I want to encourage you, before you start shaping the information to make you look better and them look worse, step back and check your heart. Because James says probably if you're honest, the source of the problem is, in fact, your desire. Those desires that are in your own heart, that maybe your feelings have been hurt, or someone did this, or someone did that, and so what do I want to do? I have a tendency, if I'm hurt by so-and-so, all right, I have a tendency to amass troops on my side. Does that make sense? Because I want to make sure that people are on my side and not on their side. And so James says, listen, if you walk into a situation and there's not a clear biblical foundation for this fight, all right, and Paul will tell you there are, there are certain biblical foundations for fight, but if it's really a personal preference, if it's an opinion, then the problem goes to the heart. Does that make sense? He says that's the source of it. So as wise men, remember, that's what he said, the wisdom that comes from heaven in James chapter 3, he says the wise person won't immediately walk in and choose sides. The wisest, most mature person will walk in and first of all say, where's the common ground? How can we fix this? Why? Because we care about the gospel, we care about the church, we care about the witness. Man, there's nothing worse if you look out there than to hear about a church that splits. By the way, that is the Baptist church planting method. How many of you know that? It's called one bad business meeting. You, you, you go to any church in Texas or Oklahoma or Alabama or Mississippi, you want to know why there's a second Baptist church in that city? Because <laughs> they had a business meeting, right? And at some point they divided up and said, we're done with First Baptist Church. We're going to become Second Baptist Church and we're going to take a group of people and go over here. It just happens. And typically in many cases, it's not theology. It's going to be music. It's going to be practice. It's going to be version of the Bible. It's going to be people that just weren't mature enough to see the high calling that is found in Christ Jesus. So guys, if, if you first of all are sitting here, maybe you've got something against someone else in here. Check your heart. That's what James, the brother of Jesus said. He says, man, I, I was dealing with this battle over and over and over again there in church in Jerusalem that someone would come back from Corinth and they would say, man, we, we don't need to be supporting that Corinthian church because man, they're a bunch of nut jobs over there. And then someone would say, boy, Galatian church, they're a bunch of legalists over there. And James would see all these fights, and he just stepped back. 
and said, man, what's the source? It's stuff that's in us. And so, man, if you are in the middle of envy or strife, or if you see it, check your heart first. Now, just go back to James, look at verse 2. He says, not only is the source usually our own personal desires, he says, but look at the selfishness that is involved and how it destroys our relationship with others. He says, the source in here, but notice what it does to our relationships out there. Look at verse four, uh, chapter 2, verse 4. He says, you desire but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. What is he saying? What happens to my relationships? When my heart goes unchecked, he says, I have a tendency to what? To desire things that I don't have. He goes, so you kill. How do we kill? He's not talking about the physical killing. You kill them with your tongue. We talked about that last week. You start talking about them. You start amassing troops on your side. Why? Because someone else has more power, or they, are, or they have more popularity in the church, or they have this, or they have that. And you have a tendency to, to draw back and begin to lob verbal bombs the other way, and you kill a person's character or you kill a person's work, or you kill a person's witness. I see this a lot. I'll tell you what, you can see this in pastor's conferences. Where, where, where you've probably seen it, man, some, some pastor's doing great, and some pastor's this, and all of a sudden you'll get a couple of pastors. But you know, you, you, you know why, how they do this, right? And what are they doing? They're just kind of lobbing a bomb because they covet so instead of celebrating, they try to kill. That's exactly what Satan wants to do. And so I would always encourage you, man, before you say something, going back to last week's tongue, before you say something about someone else, make sure, or you're listening to someone say something about someone else, or someone else's ministry. Make sure you step back as a mature and wise individual before you choose size and say, is the source of the problem really their heart, or is it theological? Is it their heart, or is it biblical? Is it the heart, or is it something real? Then look at the relationships. Are they coveting really what they have? You say, how do you answer that question? If, if you see two groups in a fight or arguing, just ask yourself the question. Step back and say, if this guy is talking about this guy, ask yourself this question. If he had what that guy had, would he be happy? And a lot of times you can look back and say, you know what? If I put you in their position, I think you would be happy. And that's a good litmus test of whether it's covetousness, right? That if I think they would really love to trade places with that other person, probably goes to the heart and covetousness, and they're now killing with the tongue. So he says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. It's just easier that way. You, you, you say, Pastor, does jealousy really destroy relationships? Absolutely. How many of you remember an Old Testament guy named Joseph? Remember the story? If you go look, we aren't going to put it up there, but if you go look, Genesis 37, verse 11, it tells you one reason that his brothers took Joseph, put him, put him in a hole, sold him into slavery, 
Anybody know what that word is? You can go look it up, Genesis 37, verse 11. They were jealous. They were jealous of what he had. They were jealous of the coat. They were jealous of the dream. How many of you remember the dream? Okay, that wasn't the smartest thing in the world for Joseph, Joseph to share the dream. How many of you remember that story? He rolls in there and says, hey, brothers, come here, come here. I got something great. Here's what I dreamed last night, all right, uh, that, that I'm pretty much the king and y'all all bow down to me. That's awesome, right? <laughs> and it says from that moment on, his brothers were jealous of him. Why? Because there was something about Joseph that God said yes to, right? Now, Joseph went through some stuff, and we talked about that the first couple of weeks. To get Joseph to be number two in all of Egypt next to Pharaoh, how many of you know he went through some stuff? Right? I mean, he was sold into slavery by his brother. Potiphar's wife lied about him, went into prison, helped elevate a couple of dudes. Well, one of the dudes got killed. And then they forgot about him. Then he ultimately ends up in the king's palace for the saving of many lives. At any point through that process, Joseph could have gotten jealous of the freedom his brothers had. And so guys, here's my encouragement to you. If you are going through some stuff and you find your heart bitter at someone else who seems to have more, because let me tell you what, until the end of the story, Joseph's brothers had more than Joseph did. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Until he ultimately ends up as number two next to Pharaoh for the sole purpose of the saving of many lives, things didn't look that good for Joseph. But he was just faithful. And so maybe there's some guys in here that, man, God is allowing you to go through some stuff because he's got a high place for you in your future. And he wants to make sure that when he puts you in that space and he puts you in that place, that you've got the mature metal, spiritual metal that it takes to withstand the battle. Does that make sense? Because if you look through Joseph's story, it started because his brothers were jealous of him. And so jealousy will kill, it'll divide, it'll cause quarrels, it'll cause fights. And the mature man, the mature person like James will step back and he'll say, wait, wait, the source of this fight, it's in the hearts. The result of this fight is going to be divisions and quarrels. And what are we supposed to do as people of God, men of God? Remember what Paul told the Ephesian believers? He said, diligently preserve, somebody finish it, do you know? The unity of the Spirit. He says, diligently preserve the unity of the Spirit found in the church. See, we don't create unity. Now listen to this, you might want to jot this down. We do not create unity in the church. The only thing you and I can do is destroy it. See, we have unity. Man, if, I, if I'm a Christian brother and you're a Christian brother, through God's Spirit, you and I are unified. Does that make sense in our purpose, in our heart, in everything? I don't create unity with you. Man, some of you guys have such amazingly different backgrounds than I do that you're so different. 
But you and I, as believers, have complete unity. And my job is to diligently preserve it. How do I do that? James says, by making sure I don't let my heart run wild. That instead, what I want to do is constantly step back and say, what is the most important thing for me? And so go back, he says, verse 2, you desire, but you do not have, therefore you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Now continue to read, pick it up. You do not have because you do not ask, because when you ask, you do not receive. Listen to this, because you ask with the wrong motives that you would spend what you get on your own pleasures. So if you just follow James's thought, he says, wisdom, true spiritual biblical wisdom will lead me to humility, not pride. Once I live in pride and humility and not pride, I will understand that when I'm in tension with someone else, the first thing I need to check is not their actions and not their words and not their deeds. It's my heart. Wisdom leads to humility. Strife or quarreling leads to not me checking their actions, but starting off by checking my heart, then to make sure my heart is not a covetous heart. And if I don't have a covetous heart, then what does he say? If I have a covetous heart, then I start praying, God, give me what they have. And he says, God doesn't answer that prayer. Why? Because you ask with the wrong motives. And what is the wrong motive? To say, God, give me this so I can spend it on myself. What's the humble spirit say? God, should you give me this, I will use whatever you give me for your glory. And that's how we live with unity in the church. Guys, we want to be wise men who look, and if we see divisions and strife, beginning to develop. If someone comes up and starts talking about someone else, that we step back and say, is that person and am I walking in humility? Is that person being driven by a heart that is deceitful and evil? Can I step in and mend the fence? Or do I truly need to line up for battle to quarrel because it is a biblical or a theological problem? If not, what I want to do is check my heart ask for forgiveness, and then do what? Pray that God would give me what I need, not so I can use it on myself, but so that I can use it for His glory. And that is the way to be a biblically mature man. And that's what James, the brother of Jesus, said. So guys, as we journey forward, he says, listen, when you ask, you say, Pastor, are you supposed to ask for things? Absolutely. I want you to know, it's not a mark of spiritual maturity not to ask God for things. You want to ask God for unity in your church. You want to ask Him to bless you in your ministry. You want to ask Him to bless your family, to bless your kids. Do all. You, let me tell you what, it is not unspiritual to ask God for a raise. How many of you say amen? But why are you asking? So you can use it on yourself or you can use it for God's kingdom? The humble person would say, God, everything I have comes from you, and I'm going to use everything I am to glorify you. 
Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day. God, thank you for the opportunity just to get out into the nitty-gritty details and hear James, the brother of Jesus, talk about what he saw in the church in Jerusalem with strife and envy and difficulty, which is not that uncommon. But God, thank you for the lessons that James, the brother of Jesus, gives us that we as godly men ought to rise above it all. We ought to live with humility. We have to check the source. We can't let our selfishness destroy our relationships because ultimately anything God gives us, we want to use not for our pleasure, but for His glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You all have a great day, guys. You all are the best. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information regarding Cottonwood Creek, go to cottonwoodcreek.org. And we hope you tune in next time for more episodes of Men's Bible Study.